To all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, to onions, all and beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, to cheese, pickles, onions, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present uh, by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I am Bob Canning. And Tim, is it still 1994? It's uh, According to the next hour it is, and according to the show notes specifically, yes, it's still 1994 on this month-long kind of look at, uh, what, at, at, at the 90s, something that we hadn't been doing a lot on the show. Yeah. And why 1994? In case someone's checking in or, or, or went totally zoned out on the past episodes, why, why are we focusing on, on, on a single year? Uh, well, that 1994 was a kind of a pivotal year. It was our uh, end of our freshman, beginning of our sophomore year, is when we really kind of met and became uh, the friends we are today. Yeah, and in college, these are college years. College years, so, yeah, so. that's right. And do you, I mean, prior to doing the show, did does the idea of 1994, did that resonate before we kind of decided on it as a topic? Like, do you think of that year specifically when you think of maybe where our friendships were starting? Um, no, I mean, I usually think of 93 because that's, mm-hmm. that's the year I graduated high school and the year I started college. So 93 is always, I always think of it in those four-year periods. So 93 is what I think of when I think of of college, of starting college, and 97 is what I think of, of starting adulthood, although that hasn't actually begun yet. But I don't know. 94 is pretty formative, and I think you're right. We met in 93. Our friendship was forming in 93. But when you know some of the memories I have, freshman year memories, must be coming from 1994 because they're coming from a more – they're coming from a space where we had we, de- we had definite routines by then. We had things that we did, things that we knew how to do that were getting comfortable in Boston. And again, we went to college at Emerson College, and going to the city was big, new, and frightening to me. And I think it's one of the ways, at least I sought out to bond with you, is there was some comfort in having a friend who was discovering things that were new. Yeah, for sure. One of the more amazing aspects of coming to Emerson, coming to a dorm, and coming to an area where movie theaters, at the time multiple movie theaters, were in walking distance was I saw a shit ton of movies in college yeah. with people and also by myself, but I just went so often and not just blockbusters, you know, not just things that, you know, you had to go see because you're getting stuff like beautiful girls. She's the one kicking and screaming. And the topic of today's episode, which I think in some ways, I think when I think of independent movies, I think of two. One is a very, very low budget, dirty, filthy looking and sounding film. And the other one while an independent movie, I think it's considered independent for different reasons. But today we're going to be talking about Pulp Fiction. Yes. The uh, Quentin Tarantino directed, Tarantino and Roger Avery written film that, uh, that I mean, what, how can we start talking about this? What, what Pulp Fiction, like when it, when it came out, it came out in the fall, October 14th, 1994. It was a movie that I got to see, probably the first one I saw in college take on that. You know, like because when we got to college... Everyone had Star Wars posters. When we got to college, everyone actually had Jim Morrison stuff because that Doors movie had been recent. We kind of were there and saw – it's almost like I remember seeing the Pulp Fiction merchandise get plastered up. Yeah. Like one day someone came through with that brush. It's like putting out the Pulp Fiction today and it was everywhere. (laughs) And and, well, my memory of us going to see that movie was we kind of went to see it on a fluke that day. Uh, mm-hmm. We we were if I don't know if you remember this, but we had watched our cartoons or whatever. Maybe we ate. We didn't have a plan necessarily. We were thinking maybe to go see Pulp Fiction, and I hadn't showered, and uh, we looked at the clock and the time of the movie, and we were like, "Yeah, let's let's try and make it. Let's see if we can go make it." So I didn't have a lot of um, expectations for the movie. I mean, I knew I had a sense of what it was about. Um, but I so it just, wasn't an event. It wasn't like we weren't planning to. No, get there. I mean it, it. Probably came out the night before. We weren't there the night before. Um, I don't know if it had been out a week, but I, I doubt it. I think it was just out. But yeah, we mm. we we didn't plan to go. We just maybe we had an inkling that we wanted to, and then it just sort of worked oh, out so. that we could make it in time. So we stumbled upon a pop kind culture of, I, I did. 
I I feel like I did. And like I walked out of it, I remember saying too, it's like, I am so glad we decided to come and see this movie. Right? Yeah. Pulp Fiction was fucking fun. Yeah. From the moment it started, it was the heart beating, it was laughing, it was intense. It was unlike anything I ever saw. It's interesting now. I'm wondering if, yeah, maybe I'm filling in some blanks here. Because I do remember watching cartoons that morning because we did it every... That's why I know it was a Saturday. Right. I feel like we went to breakfast. It's interesting that you're the, the points you're bringing up make it really seem like, yeah, we weren't necessarily going to go. Stumbled into this movie. I remember just being in it. Yeah, just from the moment it started, it was so much fun. And yeah, I remember leaving it on the kind of emotional high I get after like a big time summer blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. To really look at it, to even just do a little research, I mean, it cost $8.5 million to make. That doesn't seem like an independent budget. I know it's low. Yeah. But that's still eight and a half, you know, for 1990s money, that's eight and a half million. But still, you know, it had big names in it Bruce Willis, John Travolta, Samuel Jackson. I mean, it had a big cast. Yeah. It's very sleek looking. It had a, a pretty packed soundtrack. It had all the hallmarks of a bigger film and it was a big film, but still it shifted everything. Like it still felt like an independent, it felt like what independent, independent film could be, right. even though it cost 8.5 millions. You know, it, it, it was, it was independent of everything else in the cinema at that moment to me, you know, yeah, it was visuals and audio that I had never encountered before. And I went to the theater and I got to see it big without any, you know, back then it wasn't like we were reading mag. I wasn't reading about it in magazines. Right. I wasn't online. So I wasn't looking for facts. So I knew very little about yeah. it. Everything was so new. And I feel like the nineties were great for this. We were dropped in the middle of so many, cause there were so many great movie theaters. There was the Sherry and the Brattle and the Nickelodeon <clears throat> and, and, and the Coolidge corner theater, like all, so many different things. We saw this at the Sherry. I'm pretty sure we did, which is a bigger theater for the time. Yeah. And it wasn't packed. But, like that's the other thing too. Like I just was it not okay. I, I, I my memory of it is we had pretty sweet seats right in the middle, you know, <laughs> of the theater, and it wasn't crowded, and it was warm that day too. I know it was October, but it was. I remember being warm. Uh, oh really? Yeah, and okay. and uh, yeah, that energy. Like you're saying, it's like when you leave the theater. When I left the theater after that movie, and and I hit the sunlight. Uh, I can I can even picture us walking out the side door towards the front of the screen, uh, going down the side road up towards you know in the direction of Tower Records, um, uh, hitting the sun and just having this energy. I just wanted to do stuff. I didn't even care what you know. It's like I wanted to keep going. It's like let's go do something. Uh, I can't remember if we did. We probably didn't. But I yeah probably went to Tower Records. We but... probably did. We probably did. But uh, I think your description is amazing. I think that's what. It was. And it's weird because it was as exciting as coming out of the X-Files movie or a new Star Wars movie. Like, it felt like that. Yeah. Did you see it again in the theater after that? I probably did. I don't have a record. You know what? Oh. I probably didn't because, no? um, yeah, because I was I was spending my own money in college. And at true. the time, if I was spending it, I was um, probably buying CDs uh, or albums more than I was going to the movies. But I, w- I would. So I was going to the movies, but I probably wasn't going to them two or three times there. Uh, but certainly mm-hmm. when it came out um, on home video, I was watching it. So it sounds like heading into this good memory, bad memory. Oh, great memory. Love that day with I you. Say, I mean, yeah, literally, it's burned into my memory that day. Yeah. No, I I, I think any, it, as we're finding as we talk about these things from the 90s, I think most of the movies to come up from those times, I think part of the memory will be getting there or coming from there. Cause I think back then that was still a big part of that experience. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's check out Pulp Fiction. We're going to see if it hits us in any way. And, um, you know, you have the soundtrack, so cue that up yourself. <laughs> I will. Are you good at bringing us back in? Can you sure, say I can something? Do that. Sure, I will say that. something. Let's let's come back into it. Hey, Tim, how was that? We just watched Pulp Fiction. Crazy, huh? <laughs> good segue. <laughs> Very good segue. Um, we did just watch it. Sure. Um, yeah. 
We did. We just watched Pulp Fiction. And I gotta ask you, did did you watch it uh, in its entirety from beginning to end in one sitting like I did? I wasn't able to. I watched it um, a couple days ago. I started watching it. Uh, I got about an hour in, then some, some stuff happened, and my rental... Because this was a very hard movie to actually track down to mm. watch, to get a copy of. I mean, not hard, just I had to pay for it. My sure. 48-hour rental dried up, so I had to rent it again, and I finished it uh, tonight, about an hour before we started... Uh, Recording. So no, I watched it in two parts, but you watched it in one sitting. I yeah, I really wanted to do that, so I kept putting it off and putting it off until I had a night where I knew the kids wouldn't be coming out of their rooms. And uh, yeah, I watched it in one sitting, and it's it's a long movie. I was surprised to see it's three hours, or it's like a couple yeah. minutes short of three hours. I never thought of it as as being that long, but yeah, it's it's a long movie. Did it play well in one sitting? Like, did was it? Did it keep your attention? Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that I, I was um, kind of regretting, but it just happened, is I started taking some notes, and I ended up just really watching the movie and mm-hmm. enthralled and enjoying the film, and not trying to like jot anything down. I was just watching the movie. Oh, um, I I think um, to jump right to it, I guess I think it holds up really well. Did you have that feeling right from the start? Um. Yeah, I mean, I had like at the beginning, I had just that exciting, you know, because I hadn't seen it like we talked about. I hadn't seen it in quite some time. Um, And so I had this feeling of excitement because I was remembering things and um, just anticipating scenes and dialogue and and moments. And so, yeah, I I really was enjoying it from the beginning. I'm getting a vibe that you maybe didn't. Uh, Well, no, a couple things happened. And I guess to jump right into this, I... It's hard not to be impacted by by this movie, the movie Pulp Fiction, and I found it very hard um, not to be impacted this particular week. Um, I think we need to yeah. do this kind of one at a time. The, the The movie is like historically a pretty violent film. I mean, it's a stylized, glorified, f- violent film. It's part of the story and the, and 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 the filmmaking and the storytelling, but it, it's bloody. You know, there's a lot of bloodshed. Right. Uh, there's a lot of bullets. I feel like it was all done to look cool. Um, sure. And at the time, I thought it was cool. I just – were you put off by the violence right from the start of it? Um, I wasn't put off by the violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I might know another thing you're trying to get at. I was yeah. put off uh, by some of the language, some of the dialogue, sure. some of the things yes. that were said. Right at the start. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like this – um, for the listener, just to give you a little sense, I know you're aware of the world. We're recording this on the Thursday, uh, two nights after our president's uh, vocal support of the Nazi Party. Uh, I'm acknowledging some fascism. And I'm not. I'm not meaning to turn this into a political soapbox, um, one way or the just other. Just putting us in perspective of. But yeah, when best we thing, and that's the thing. Like that's yeah. what impacted me with this. I. The violence, and I think the violence is something we'll talk about. Because, yeah, I actually, I enjoyed the movie. I'm, I'm going to say that up front. But I had a very hard time with it because the, the racism, and it's a racist movie, does yeah. not age at well. It was hard to hear right from the start. I'm not going to say the word, but, you know, it's that whole thing of the entitled white man can say the N-word, and people know what it means. But hearing that right from the start of the movie, um, you know, it was hard to sit there and listen to it this week. It was hard yeah. to have it playing for my TV with the windows open. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like th- so many slurs are being thrown around without any real world weight, you know. And it's true. And here's the thing: and this, I, this, we're white guys. Quentin Tarantino is a white guy. Very, very white guys. And the racial slurs I'm, you know, referring to, sound bluntly grotesque coming from my mouth, your mouth, his mouth. And yet he, and this is, and this is even later in the movie because I, I was very aware of, of it from the very beginning. Tim Roth's character, I think, throws out some racial slurs right at the start of the film, right at the beginning, a and lot this of them. back and forth talk. Quentin Tarantino yeah. minds it for laughs. Quentin Tarantino has a role in this movie that yeah. gives him a monologue where he talks <clears throat> about dead that word storage, uh-huh. and he just says the word over and over again. He keeps saying it, and it's played as a laugh. It's played for a joke. You know, when this movie came out, we were at Emerson and 
that's a line that people quoted all the time around me. I don't I don't know if they Oh really? Did, I heard that a lot. Yeah. I heard the um Oh wow. You know, and just a whole setup of the kind of like, is there a sign outside that says that, you know, it's dead, the you know, word storage. And why is yeah. there that and, and, and those using that term for someone in, in my basement? And yeah, I heard people quoting it. I never said it, but I heard it. And I think the first time I saw this movie, I probably laughed at it. That's the thing, because it's played as a joke. It's played as yeah, a white I mean, joke. But this time I just fucking cringed. I fell out of the movie. Yeah. Each time I heard, but mostly when he did. Yeah, what? that scene especially. Um, I don't know. I uh, yeah, like the the beginning with Tim Ross character. Um, that sort of got, you know, got my uh, guard up a little bit. Um, but then I got into the story of it and mm-hmm. and the 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 visuals and 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 the quirky conversations um, and it would pop up here and there the rest of the way it pops up a lot and a in lot the of movie. yeah Awful. and a lot of times it's coming from characters that I could maybe believe would be saying that mm-hmm. um, and so it, it, I flowed with it it was part of the story it's part of those characters but then yeah the Quentin Tarantino scene um, I don't even think I I I was very uncomfortable with it then, I think. Okay, so I was going to ask you that because I don't remember being uncomfortable with it in the movie. It was probably odd to hear it in the dorm, to hear people quoting that line. That I don't want to say I would hope it was off-putting, but that should be off-putting. In the context of the movie, when I saw it, I think it was just part of the scene. And again, I do think I laughed at it, and I'm embarrassed by that. I mean, it was 20 years ago, but so what? In history, that's not very long. And I was, what, a naive, entitled, racist kid, you know, I guess. I mean, I wasn't actively racist, but if I'm laughing at that joke without thinking what it meant, that's a racist reaction. And I couldn't separate that. Like, that did take me out of the movie. And I had forgotten that Tarantino had that particular little dialogue. But every time I heard it, it struck. And again, a lot of it's informed by this, the whole all right charlottesville our president blah 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 situation that's going on right now with this acceptance of casual and vicious racism and more so this refusal to swat it down and so that's on my mind already which makes it hard to see but shouldn't that have been on my mind in 1994 and it sounds like it was on yours you were uncomfortable with the scene with tarantino or you just didn't like tarantino um it was a combination of that but um yeah no very uncomfortable to my recollection mm-hmm. with that scene and and part of me I'm you know I wouldn't be surprised if I was thinking that um I was supposed to be uncomfortable like that whole that whole scene those guys you know trying to get uh, out of there before the wife gets home that whole bit it's supposed to be a very uncomfortable kind of tense scene but it already um, is why does he have to yeah use? it didn't the racial yeah, slurs, I don't, th- I don't true. think they're there for anything but as a joke. See, I think Quentin Tarantino thought it's cool when characters talk this way. Isn't it so outlandish, absurd, and offensive? Isn't it cartoonish in a way? It's very stylized. It's very over the top. It is all of those things. And that's why I, I started talking with the violence. The violence in this movie doesn't really bother me. I was yeah. probably – it's shocking, but it's exciting, and there's something in it. And maybe, again, maybe it should bother me, but there's something in it that's so over the top and at the time especially was so visceral, like actual guts and blood, like all of this slapping around like cartoon drawings. That, I believe, is part of the story. I guess I don't believe the the the, the racial tinge slurs. Like maybe that's Tarantino's character. Maybe that character is a racist, but what is that? how does that function in the story? Could we have lost that particular dialogue because that's not the tarantino we see when the wolf shows up the scene we're talking about right it's towards the end of the movie jules and vincent samuel jackson and, and john travolta's character um they a gun has actually gone off in their car it, it shot uh, a passenger's head off so they need to get the car clean so they go to quentin tarantino's house to kind of lay low and get the car cleaned and uh it's a it's a great scene it's actually the scene itself this is the thing the movie and we should get into talking about the movie. It's just I don't know if I can detach myself entirely because it it was a blockade to fully losing myself in the movie this time, and that wasn't there last time. Yeah, 
I just wonder how necessary is it? Do we give it leeway in fiction? Because technically, I mean, I guess people do talk that way. People do exist that way. If it's in the movie, what is the purpose it's serving? Yeah. Like I was uncomfortable hearing Samuel Jackson say, uh, we're going back to the the racial terms, and maybe we don't need to, there's more to the movie than this. So True. But I I just, to open with that, I think is important because it was, I couldn't fully connect with the movie whenever that happened, and yet I found myself very connected to it throughout the rest of it. So I guess I would just wonder why it didn't impact me back then, the way it's impacting now, and and do we need it? And I don't know. I think the movie could have, I think Quentin Tarantino's character in that scene didn't need that monologue. And watching it this time. Yeah, I don't think Tarantino's character in that scene is is a is a real character at all there's no development there um he actually directs harvey Keitel when he's washing them off he tells them he's like oh, wash up there wash. he's like he's actually directing yeah. in the scene which i thought was funny and, and intentional but <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it, it's completely out of place um it should have just been <clears throat> i think and there's aspects of it there it should have just been this domestic guy that just so happened to know jules and was like the complete opposite of that person. And now suddenly we're in this world. And so, I mean, that, that affects it too. Yes, you've got the word, but then it's also, it's like, it doesn't make sense coming out of this person. Right. I felt, I felt okay with not okay necessarily, but I could follow the story and understand the characters when Jules and, and even Travolta's character uh, were saying it. Uh, did he say it? Actually, I was, I was about John to ask you. I don't remember. To, I, I don't. I, with everything I just said, I guess I should know that for a fact. Yeah, I don't me, think but. he did. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, no. And I, I understand, and that's the thing. Like the word is going to exist, and it's going to be in fiction, and maybe it changes. Right. Like to see this movie in two more years, providing things don't go the direction that I think they're going in the world. If things level off, and we get and we oust this dictator and politics and all like, or, or just in a different time when it's not as heated, I wonder, will does that stuff wash over me differently? But again, should it? And I don't think it should. I think those words to use those words, they have impact. And in this movie, it's impact didn't connect, but it's there. And it's part of the movie as is the violence and the violence. I did not mind <laughs> in the film, um, and I did enjoy it. It's it, going, and I know when we just started talking, you you were getting a vibe from me. I went into this because of the Tim Roth scene that starts it being like, I don't think this is going to hold up. I was I was set to oh, not really? like the movie I, at first. Going into it, I was very yeah. excited, but once the Tim Roth scene started, I'm like, oh, that's right. This is how the dialogue goes. This is how the pacing goes. Everybody was dressing like this. Everyone was talking like this. I was all set. And this happened throughout the movie in every, every little vignette because the movie's made up of vignettes. I was always to be like, all right, this is one that I'm going to get bored and turn away and do something. But it always got me. Like, you yeah, know, like does. the Tim Roth scene, I'm like, oh, okay. And then the credits start. <clears throat> and they're exciting credits. But once we get into that car with Vincent and, and uh, Jules, the John Travolta and Samuel Jackson character, like I was enjoying that. I love both of them in this movie. Honestly, I love John Travolta in this movie. He's doing sure. something that yeah. I've never seen. I don't think he's done before. I, I get why this was his comeback movie, but I oh, love absolutely. him in it. But every um, time I was the, like, okay, yeah, I'm the, getting bored with this scene, I would get pulled back in. So, yeah, it, it works in that sense. You know what struck me that I, I wasn't expecting, that I don't re- remember, um, is how drawn out all the vignettes are and how slow. Yes. Not boring. Not boring, but slow slowly paced long shots pauses lots of pauses um but still so engaging they're very engaging Um, do you think they were slow back then or do you think that's more of a because again this movie is 23 years old yeah that could be just you know the 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 passage of time and how things are different and how movies are different now Mm -hmm. um absolutely um yeah back then maybe i didn't feel that way um but it, it struck me it stood out um, on like the the scene where Butch uh, drives back character. to his apartment, yeah, the Bruce Willis character drives back to his apartment to get his gold watch, and you literally spend like eight minutes <laughs> following him from his car uh, down the the side alley of a house through a vacant lot over a fence through the gate 
down the patio area, up the steps. <laughs> I mean, it was great. It was totally engaging. But you, yeah, like that wouldn't happen in a in a in a movie today. You wouldn't well, take that much time just to go from one place no, to another. I feel like you would if you're trying to. Like, I think set pieces will do this. Like, if they need to establish the lay of the land. Like, um, I'm thinking of the Netflix Daredevil series. They did. They had a sequence where there was this fight scene in, in a hallway in one shot. And before the fight, it's a very long him walking down the hall, looking around. So it sets like it sets your environment. So I think they might do it that way. But yeah, true. Following your that, I'm glad you brought up the Bruce Willis thing. I think we'll jump around to the stories a bit because this movie structure warrants. Yes, that. we we can jump around. We can jump around <laughs> as much as we want, much like the film. I that that was yeah. I didn't remember that, and that's every scene is much longer than I remember. Um, yeah. Do you like the Bruce Willis story in this? Yeah, I do. Um, I get if if I get bored anywhere, it's in the Bruce Willis yeah, story. No, that's... when he's when he's with his girlfriend. Oh, yeah, that, um, oh, and in the yeah, taxi yeah. too. Um, what what did you say about her? She's an awful character. I, I hate. I cannot <laughs> stand her because she's not. I mean, it's, that's another thing. This movie is very misogynistic. There's not a whole lot of female characters. I when we get to talking about Uma Thurman, I loved her character, but she's really the only standout female character. This Bruce Willis's girlfriend, wife, a girlfriend, I guess. I think girlfriend. Yeah, Fab, Fabiana or something. I feel like it was just like be cutesy, be baby doll, you know, show off my yeah underage girl fetish kind of thing. And I just feel like I didn't. And I remember thinking she was endearing. That's something that didn't hold up. Like when I saw this in the theater. I was very excited for the Bruce Willis scenes because I liked Bruce Willis. I was like, this is cool. This is him doing whatever the movie is. This time, one, his outfit. Oh, my God. <laughs> he has very 90s bleach blue jeans. <laughs> they're, they're, they're big. They're like, they're like I don't know. They're, they're kind of like I'm in my third trimester jeans with a white t- <laughs> tucked into them. I'm laughing so hard jacket. because that's absolutely – it stood out. I thought, man, that's a pretty cool jacket that he has. I thought it was a cool jacket. But then when we see the long shot of him walking, I'm like, I don't even wear those jeans. And I'm a, I'm a large, heavy man well, and I, I don't wear that's those what's st- like I, I love the, the sequence you're talking about following him around. It's great. But – I keep yeah. laughing because I'm seeing Bruce Willis. <laughs> and also, we're seeing Bruce Willis at that transition phase. Like, he's balding. He's leaving comedy yeah. behind. He, you know, So it is like, because what was after this? 12 Monkeys came after this. Some other stuff came after this. And then he became serious Bruce Willis that we have now. And I'm watching that transition, and it's laughable a little. And he's good in this. <laughs> he's a good actor. I do like Bruce Willis. but Oh, I think he's great in this. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't being right behind him like a like a game of doom but in that outfit was too much for me that metaphor doesn't work because doom is pointing you be behind bruce willis the whole time you would be in bruce willis if, in if that outfit doom you would and, and in his skull if if the doom thing works but i like the second half of his story i like christopher walken scene and again in the movie each of these sequences i remember as just being one after another big and exciting but the christopher walken sequence which he's great in we don't need mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's not a needed scene. No, I disagree. You totally need that. You need to know how important that watch yeah. is to him. I mean, I don't, I don't know a better way that you can convey that mm. than to have uh, a, an army prisoner of war come and tell the story of the watch to you when you're a boy, and how important it is that your dead father had kept that hidden where he hid it. And that this man standing in front of you did the same and then made it a point to come to you and give it to you. Mm-hmm. That's what was it? Three generations, right? World War Two Was it the Korean War? And then like I don't I, I forget which wars it was. Um, but I think it was three generations. And now it's his. And that's why it's it, you need that story to make sense of why he would put himself in danger going back to his apartment. And. Um, no, I guess I don't have a second point. Well, no, I get. I'm, <laughs> I'm deleting my notes on this section because I guess you're right. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I just what I found and what you're saying, I get it now. I I think you're right. And I when the scene began because I remember loving Christopher Walken and I still do. So when he showed up in the movie, I was excited for it. I thought this is such a funny story. I was laughing and when I first saw this in the nineties. <laughs> Thought his story and his use of the word ass and all that stuff was just funny. Sure. 
when that started, I was like, this is interesting. It's when I grabbed my phone, though. And I was like, I'll just check something real quick because I remember this being a monologue. And then when Bruce Willis wakes up, I'm like, oh, right, it's a boxer story, which it's really not. That part ends pretty quick. But when right. his story started, I was like, I'm zoning out. I'm not going to follow this. And again, that it moves fast enough. You get a long walking scene. I think you see him walking around the, the halls. You see him. Well, I think what you, you're going from the boxing scene where he wakes up. But then you skip the fight, and he gets in the taxi, and he has the conversation with the taxi driver, Esmeralda. And that's okay, I guess. So you could cut that or cut the watch scene and just have the information there. I think you can cut the taxi scene. I don't understand why that needs to be there. Uh, That's where I probably looked at my phone. I can't remember. Did they use that cool Um, rear projection? Maybe that's why they did it. He wanted to show off. They did the rear projection where he had the, uh, the black and white streets in the background. And that's that's cool. That's visually engaging. I like that. He already did it and he did it in a scene that it warranted. That I the Bruce Willis story I feel is the most realistic of all these stories. It has the least amount of with the exception of the, the coincidence of hitting Marsalis with the car. It's a story that feels the most out of place to me cuz I'm like this is a pretty straightforward tale. It doesn't have the comic bookness or the hyper-reality of the other ones, I felt. Which, is again, isn't entirely true because he uses a sword <laughs> to cut a man. I, I would agree with you with the taxi ride and the the night with the, the girlfriend. But I think the watch story and then the everybody's out to everybody on Marcellus's gang is out to get him. And he's still able to go into his apartment and, and almost eat a Pop-Tart. I think that's <laughs> hyper-realistic. And then the shotgun's right there, whatever kind of gun that was. And uh, uh, Vincent's in the bathroom. I think every every the things with the two women in that story are kind of just normal. Like you're saying, just kind of straightforward discussions, conversations. Um, and I thought everything else around that was what I really go to for that story. That's, that's what I always think of when I think of the Bruce Willis story. So all the little vignette stories, and they do all connect, obviously. Do they stand – do you think they would be interesting on their own? Like even if they were just the length they still were. I'm not saying a full-length movie, but the Bruce Willis story on its own, do you find that interesting or do you need the tether to the rest of the movie that, you know, this is where Vincent gets shot and here's the Marsalis they're talking about? Do you need all the connections to make the Bruce Willis story engaging? I don't think so. Not the Vincent stuff for sure, because that just happens so quickly. You don't necessarily need to know that it's Vincent. That could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'm thinking that maybe adds to the importance of the story is Marcellus at the end of, of the Bruce Willis story. It's important to know what a thug character, what, what an important character he is in this world, in this environment, among these people. Um I think that adds an impact to it. At the same time, I still think it would be a pretty interesting story with, without knowing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you would probably build that up and get a sense of that anyway. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like these stories can be told on their own. And these stories, you know, we mentioned already, and everyone knows, obviously, the movie's out of sequence. The stories are kind of rearranged to tell a particular story. And the Bruce Willis story is the end of the movie, correct? It's not, it, I mean, it's the end of the chronological timeline. In the chronological timeline, yes. If I'm if I'm remembering it all correctly, yes. Um, Bruce Willis leaves town, and that would be the end of everything chronologically. Mm-hmm. But we jump back. We do in time at that point, which we need to, I think, because the through line in this movie, I think, is Jules, the Samuel Jackson characters. He kind of has an arc from the beginning to the end of the movie. Which I guess he yeah. would still have, even if it was in the proper sequence. But the way we're given that is 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 interesting. And I, we're not going into the plot because I, f- I assume most people have seen the movie. Do you think it was when it was written? It was written in the order that it's that we see it, or do you think it was malleable enough that he could play around with it until he figured out the structure that worked I'm, for it? I'm gonna guess and assume that that he had the stories and then played around with the structure. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wrote it or intended it to be specifically how we see it. Um, I think the stories were developed first and how people connected maybe came in next. And, and then I think, and I, and I might even be um, thinking this because I have a, a re- recollection 
of reading about this uh, back when the movie was out. And, and uh, I can't remember if it, if it was the reporter's um, thoughts on it or if it was a quote from Tarantino. But there was the sense that, that like you're saying, um, Jules and Vincent needed to kind of end the movie on a high note Mm -hmm. Uh, with one, you know, changing his life and and moving on for adventures from town to town. And the other just having successfully completed his, his, uh, his, his assignment, so to speak, I guess. Um, And not dead (laughs) because in the, in the chronological uh, story, he is dead at the end, but in the end of the movie, he walks out sort of, on a on a high note but is it a high note because we as the viewers by that point we have figured out that the movie's out of sequence is it a high point for Tavolta because he's gonna die later that day or the next day i I think i think the movie does a good job of of fooling you into feeling good at the end of this movie Uh, for for that character i saw this time around because i you know knowing the structure of it i'm like oh he doesn't make it I mean, and that's that weird thing. Yeah. Like any character will eventually die if they're real, but because it's key to one <laughs> of the stories. Like if you remove Bruce Willis's, that's story, how you end every movie. You you leave the movie theater thing. That was great, but all of those characters will be dead. Soon. I'll be dead. When I saw Rugrats in Paris, I remember thinking, "Oh my god, most of these are probably going to get cholera." It's <laughs> it's just I I don't know because. Well, let's talk about the time thing. Like the first glimpse we get that time is out of sequence comes early on. It's an it's a clothing clue cue. You know, there's the beginning of the movie uh, where Vincent and Jules are go to assassinate Frank Whaley and his his friends because they they somehow betrayed Marsalis. And then after that, there's a jump cut to the next scene and they're wearing different clothes without any explanation. Is it with Bruce right. Willis? I'm trying to think what the next scene is. Um. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's Bruce Willis. We have the 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 speech. Um. So basically, yeah, it ends that story, and then the uh, Mia Wallace and Vincent Vega story starts. Mm-hmm. But it starts with Bruce Willis taking the the money to throw the fight, and in that moment, that's when. Jules and Vincent show up at the same bar and we see them in those other clothes. And they're clothes that as we watch the movie, we realize, okay, this is how it's, it's, this happens later in the movie. And that's why they're wearing these clothes. And it's comical because it, it's very off putting what they're wearing or very out of character. Do you remember in seeing yeah. it in the theater, did that stick out to you? Do you, do you remember that moment and what it, what it was for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I can't be precise because it was what twenty years ago. Twenty three years ago. Uh, twenty three years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm sure I reacted to it like most people, being like, "Oh man, what the hell happened? Can't wait to find out." Now, did you know going kind of into thing, it that you know? it was out of sequence? I don't know that I did. I don't think I did I, know that. I don't think I was aware of that. Like I like I said in the first half, I didn't have too much of a of a lead up to this movie. I mean, I knew it was coming out. Mm. I knew it was a pretty big deal, I guess. Um, but I wasn't engrossed in finding out everything I could about the movie. Um, so I don't think I realized that. Um, but yeah, that was a very obvious clue that it was going to be out of sequence. And to, to, I like, I like when that happens in films cause uh, when it's done well, mm. uh, because you can, it's like a mystery within the story, the story itself is a mystery, but now you have this other mystery of how did that happen? Why are they wearing that? And anticipating seeing that uh, resolved um, was part of the excitement of this movie. Yeah. This time issue, it serves the plot in an interesting way, which is what makes it like a device, but it's, it's a very exciting device and it needs the likable characters. And I think this movie really lucks out with its casting like Travolta and Samuel Jackson handle these lines really well. Like their interactions are so yeah. good. I just to compare it because I've you know it's, it is one of my favorite movies. Uh, the one I'm comparing it to, there are moments in this movie that feel like Clerks. They feel like a Kevin Smith movies. These movies are coming out at the same time. But there's a rhythm to the dialogue, not just the pop culture references, but just you're talking about like the long scenes. These conversations are lengthy conversations they're intellectualizing you know like intellectualizing cheeseburgers or how 
TV pilots work, you know, the minutiae of these little things becoming metaphors for something bigger in conversation, and these actors make it work, and it did feel fresh and new or whatever and dope and fly at the time. And it's odd because it did, you know, Clerks premiered a week or two after this, so both of these kind of hit. Shortly after both of these movies, that way of talking and communicating invaded Hollywood. It invaded the dorms. And and I know I ask this a lot of times with other things. We talked similar in that sense. And I do wonder, did we talk that way or did we crib it and steal it from movies like this? And again, I don't know. I think there was something relatable to how these characters interacted vocally that I liked. And then I'm sure I copped a lot of it. Which is what everyone was doing. This movie influenced how, I, at least I'm remembering, for good and for disastrously racially racist bad, this movie influenced how people in, communicated, I think. People mimicked this film. And, sure. you, and you can see it in movies that follow, and it gets to be annoying. Like, There's no way to really maybe know this, but do you think other actors could have made this work? Yeah, it's hard. I can't even imagine other characters in those two roles. Right? Um, not every, especially, I mean, especially the Sam Jackson stuff. I mean, who else could do that? Who else could pull that he's, off? He's he's terrifying, and this is something that to Tarantino's or to Samuel Jackson or somebody's credit, they're cold-blooded killers, and John Travolta never stops being yeah. one, and then he gets killed because of it. But they brutally kill people in the very first scene, and yet Samuel Jackson's uh, Jules's characters miraculous coming around and wanting to give up that life. There's, there's sympathy and empathy for that. He is the hero. Of yeah. The well, movie, I mean, and yet he's a, despicable he is killer, but here's the thing. You say that they kill somebody in the very first scene. They, yes, I guess if that, in that first sequence, in that first story, that that's true. That's happened. They're hitmen. But the first time we meet them, a lot of people. The, yeah, but the first time, but the first time we meet them, they're just talking about fast food. Which is why the hitman thing and, is and shocking, smoking. though, because it's like this is what they're going yeah. to do, and this is the 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 lightness they treat it with. But you don't, you don't, you don't know they're hitmen. I mean, if if um, we know they're hitmen, because this is like what the eighth or ninth time maybe but, we've, but you, we're seeing this you movie. You get it within the first half hour. Which is how long that conversation? I think, yeah, but you for. don't, you don't, but you don't get it. You don't get that they're hitmen um, right away because their their conversation is so innocuous. And then they talk about uh, foot rubs uh, is their next conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you're starting to understand who they are and what they're doing and and who they're associating with. But still, your first introduction to him, uh, to both of them, is these normal-ish kind of guys. Yes, there's something to them. Yes, there's a mystery to them. Um, and but, and then when they are hitmen, yes, they're very cold well, that's the thing. At first, that's, and that's the clever play, and that, and that in itself right. would be enough for the movies. Like, that is kind of, to have that minutiae conversation that they both have with their tones and their overworded explanation, and even just the whole, like, we're early, and you see them walk away from the camera in this long shot and continue their conversation you're waiting in real time for them to go knock on the door. Like all of that stuff. That's a great reveal. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, 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 what I'm saying yeah. is from that moment on, from the moment where Jules shoots the guy in the couch without any pro- provocation, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. he's a bad guy in that moment. Yeah. And to the degree of which they kill everyone in the room, they're bad guys. <laughs> but because of how, and this is why, this is that weird thing where the violence in the movie didn't impact me wasn't as uncomfortable for me as as just the racism in it. I am okay accepting them as the heroes of the movie, both of them, because we see their human sides and because it's a cartoon. I mean, this movie is a cartoon. Right. You know, we've talked a little bit. Jules right. has his story arc of becoming a peaceful man or wanting to be. I think that's the key to it is he wants to be the peaceful man and he yeah. didn't quite get to be there yet and that's good that's why we can relate to him uh john travolta's character has the best sequence of the movie and, and honestly i think the best sequence tarantino has ever put together and on, i think one of the best sequences in film history <laughs> his whole story with mia is that uma thurman's character mia wallace. mia wallace their whole scene going to the jack rabbit slim's 50s restaurant everything about that sequence encapsulates what was supposed to be great about Quentin Tarantino and is, I I don't think he can replicate it. And why should he? 
But that is such a magical pop culture obsessed. And I didn't realize this <laughs> the first time I saw it as a kid. I was naive. John Travolta's character is drugged out the whole time, which allows right. that sequence to be as dreamy as it is. If we want the rest of the movie to be real <laughs> yeah. or it doesn't have to be, but you're in it. It's, and it's just on it's it's pop culture on top of pop culture and meta on top of meta. I mean, she breaks the fourth wall when she draws this weird square in the midair that disappears, dissipates. The fact that it's I've always been annoyed by the fact that it's a rectangle. Oh, really? Don't be such a well. She doesn't say square. Maybe her f- saying is don't be such a rectangle. Maybe that's what she aren't, intended. Aren't squares um, rectangles? You, rectangles aren't squares, or the other way around? Uh, squares are rectangles. But rectangles aren't necessarily squares, I think. I feel like that's the same sentence twice. Did I do that? I I was listening. I always figured you could just fix that, though. It's like, yes, okay, you're following your fingers, but who's paying attention? If you just made a square around near where her fingers are, I thought that would have been just But here's the thing, and and listeners, what we're talking about is they're sitting in a car. John Travolta (laughs) says something hesitantly, and she would have said to him, don't be such a square. But instead she says, don't be such a, and then with her fingers traces a shape of some kind with four sides in midair. And it actually appears and then dissipates. And I'm just like, that's, I remember when I saw this in the theater too, at that moment, I'm like, Oh, this isn't real. I mean, not that I thought it was real, but it's like, this is its own world. And then to go into this place where it's all these icons dancing around or serving you and, and pretending to be Buddy Holly and pretending to be Marilyn Monroe did you have the same thought when when that scene started um, and, and you go into the restaurant? Did you have the same thought I had? It's like, how come there aren't like a hundred Jackrabbit Slims across the country right now? <laughs> like, is it a real place? Well, I, didn't I was that curious have. if that is a real place. I, I don't think it is, but I'm not – I'm not an expert. I don't. I live out here in L.A. and I don't think there is a Jackrabbit Slims out here. I don't think there was. I think restaurants like that probably do exist. I don't think they're as fun. I mean, didn't Monica Geller work at one on Friends? Yeah, that's not fun at all. Moon Dance. Is that what it was called? The Moon Dance Diner in Friends. I don't know. Yeah. It, well, that's the thing too. I bet that this place would never live up to what it is. Adults and bikers aren't going to go to this place the way it does in the movie. And that's another reason why it's so abstract. It might as well be the middle of the future of Blade Runner. It's that alien of a place. But I think putting John Travolta, the actor, in a role where he's called onto the floor to dance is still this mm-hmm. bizarre, amazing choice of an image. Because in that moment when yeah. he's dancing and he's not good at first, and then he kind of picks it up, it's like, I enjoyed the, I just enjoyed drugged out John Travolta. He plays it so well. <laughs> like, it's so enjoyable. But then it's also like he momentarily remembers, I'm in John Travolta's body, and he can dance, and he can still do it. Like, he was, what, 40-something yeah. maybe when the, when he did this? And he is, he's a little out of shape yeah. in the movie. He's a bulkier John Travolta. Oh, that's pudgy. But that moment, I, it's still, like, there's some chills. It's like, that's... That's what he did in this. And to put him in that role is very intentional and just allows a further yeah. weird meta culture on culture, pop culture on pop culture thing. And I just it's it's a, like it's astounding. It was astounding to watch. It was, it was actually mind blowing. Yeah. And I remember and, and it even happened. I don't think it happened for me when I first saw it because I probably wasn't as aware of the icon John Travolta. Mm-hmm. But this time, for sure, when I was rewatching it and he was getting up on his toes in, in a couple of the dance moves, and he was getting up on his toes. And I was like, yeah, kick ass, right. John Travolta. Like, that was that was sweet. Yeah, I, I, I love this. Like, this could have been the whole movie and it would have been an interesting movie sure. where, um, you know, it's a hitman, but this is what's going on in it. Um, it does. And I, I enjoy the whole thing. We're not even talking about Uma Thurman. We probably should because she is amazing in this with a character. Fantastic. The one female character that has something to do and not just say a line. She's great in this. She's beautiful in this, the way that she moves. Like I just, there's something very, not marionette, but just the way, like part of it's probably the outfit she's wearing and whatever, but it's just like she moves in such a way throughout this. There might almost be too much dancing in this sequence by the end because when they get back to her apartment, well, it's she part of the again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's part of the whole. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, the dance sequence. I don't remember the dance sequence in the in the diner being as long as it, oh, it really? is as it is. Um, and uh, yeah, when she goes back, you're right. She dances again, but you're right. It's just. 
Yeah, she's amazing. And the sequence, and then it even even once they get out of the diner and she over ODs, and they go to Eric Stoltz, who's established earlier as as a drug dealer, they go to his house to kind of because uh, yeah. she needs an adrenaline shot. That's the scene I I really remember <clears throat> in the theater, like being really worked up out because I'd never really seen a needle before. She she over ODs on on cocaine, correct? Uh, heroin that she that she thinks is cocaine. Oh, is that what happens? Because it's put. Yeah, because it's put in a baggie. See, now here's the thing. This is one thing that I that really hit me as I'm rewatching it. Because uh, I remember when we were talking about it the first half um, leading into it, how excited and kind of pumped we were and energized we were, or at least mm-hmm. I was, when we left the theater after seeing this. Um, as I'm watching it now, I'm kind of – I was I'm thinking, I wonder if I was like that and did that because this is a world I've never been in and will never be in. You know what I mean? I I am not. I've never taken a drug. I don't know. I've probably been near them, but didn't know this. I'd never had needles. You know, like all of this uh, is totally new to me. And so my younger self seeing this, that was just that was me vicariously having that experience in in a weird kind of crazy way because I will never and and had never and will never have that experience. Um, Fiction it. Not, but it's it's yeah, it's vicarious, exciting. Yeah. I just remember being really like the scene because it's they go to Eric Stoltz's house and he's like looking out his door and then you see the car kind of peel into the yard right. and everything is moving so jittery. It's all handheld. I remember the stuff with the needle yeah. in the back and forth. I just remember being I literally, which is a dumb way to phrase it, was on the edge of my seat. Like that's the scene I remember as getting really worked up over. It also has one of the funniest fucking lines in any movie and John Travolta's delivery of it is perfect I remember laughing out loud when I saw it in 94 I had forgotten it but like Eric Stoltz is explaining to him how to inject Mia with the needle <laughs> just by the gesture he moves his hand three times and John Travolta very calmly says so I stab her three times and for some reason that to me is one of the most brilliant <laughs> delivered lines because yeah. it's like yeah that is kind of what it looked like and he's so out of it but you're right there is something very and it's a, and that's why you know maybe this goes back to some of the violent stuff too. It's a safe way of experiencing something, not even experiencing it because yeah. I, I can't imagine this is what the life is like. Again, I don't know. I've never done heroin thinking it's cocaine. I've never done cocaine knowing it's cocaine. Like I haven't done it, so I don't know how it works. Right. But um, I never caught that plot point before, though. That that's why she ODs because she sniffs the wrong thing. That's interesting. Well. I mean, that was just my assumption. Again, not from this world. I I remember, and maybe I didn't catch it the first time, but other viewings I catch when Eric Stoltz says, uh, hey, I'm out of balloons. Do you mind if I use a baggie? I, I know that line. Yeah, and so, so I put it in my head, and I've always made this assumption, and hey, any listeners out there that are really into hard drugs, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Right to 20 popcast backslash drugs. Um, <laughs> my assumption was that, my assumption was that heroin goes in a balloon, cocaine can go in a baggie. It was just that's how you would store it, I guess. And so when she pulls out the baggie, which cocaine is usually in, I mean, again, only my assumption here. She just assumed it was cocaine because cocaine will come in, in baggies, whereas if it were heroin, it should be in a balloon. If she had pulled out a balloon full of drugs, she wouldn't have snorted it, um, but she thought it was cocaine. That's that's always what I believe that, that whole process to be very subtle mr tarantino wow yeah i I totally missed that but it's a fun scene and i think i think you hit on why (laughs) it's a fun scene when someone ods on heroin but it is like it is the scene i most remember from the movie because it was fun and it was something to experience and (laughs) exactly that's that is i think that aspect is fine I think that's okay as a way to experience it. And I, and I feel like the, the violence, I'm, I'm on the edge with that. Almost where it's almost like this is too much glorified gunplay or something. And again, how the world is presenting itself right now. I think it's always been the world we live in. But now that I'm exposed to it through TV more, there is some guilt and, and, and fear of that. So that doesn't work. And then, you know, we were ta- again, we're talking about just throwing around racial slurs. That doesn't work for me. But these other parts do. This was one of the most impactive movies of the 90s. And I get that. I think for what you were just saying, it was a way of experiencing all this stuff in a new way and being delivered away. But and it's captivating and all. But is, does it have a legacy? Like, is, I never went back to it. 
You know, this is the first time I've seen it this century. It, it's hard to go back to the, the first generation of this type mm-hmm. of story because we've seen so many since then and we've had so many references sen- since then. That, like, um, it, like, I mean, it's hard to say, but it's like uh, if, if you never heard the Beatles and you go back to listen to the Beatles, it might not sound as um, groundbreaking to you because you've heard everything that's been influenced mm-hmm. by them since. Um, and so maybe that's why people don't go back to Pulp Fiction, because it was so groundbreaking and influenced everything since that people have now seen those other things and the continuation of it and the growth of that kind of storytelling and and genre that maybe going back to it, it's it feels too old hat. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's a strange point, right? Because, I mean, I'm sure we can find examples yeah. of our own. I think it's just we always forget the pop culture that was right before the pop culture that inspired what we like. And I think that's a you can only go back yeah. so far maybe. Um was it a good reality or bad reality for you to watch it again? I I really enjoyed, you know, except for what we talked about with the 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 racial slurs and 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 all that. I I really enjoyed watching yeah, the movie. I I'm an, I am very uncomfortable liking parts of it. And I kind of feel a little contradictory loving the movie. And loving a movie that's this in love with racial slurs. You know, so I'm kind of caught between like, I know it's fiction. I know that with the entitlement of fiction, we can kind of forgive the violence and we can forgive, you know, like these hitmen as likable characters. So I understand that. But then it's kind of like, then there's the reality of this country right now. And I can't. I, I can't fully embrace the the, the movie, which is odd because I, I I didn't think I'd have that issue with it. I didn't think that I wouldn't be able to sit back yeah. and just watch it, and I wouldn't be able to watch it again right now. Like if my, my girlfriend, if she wanted to to, to watch it, because because I had to I had to order it on Amazon.com, so we have it for another day. Um, I don't think I could sit down and watch it again right now. I don't. I think it would be too hard, and it might still feel. A little I agree offensive. with you. And maybe that'll change. Because we had a lot to talk about, and I enjoyed the stuff I was talking about, but I can't sit with this movie right now. And that's, I'm not, I'm still not sure. Is it a fault? Is it a issue? Is it the world at large is just an, impacting a piece of art right now? So yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to call it a bad reality, but it was, it was, it was hard. To, it was still very hard to watch this time. But um, still worth thinking about. So let me ask you, listener, listener to the podcast, what's what's a piece of pop culture from your past, if your past has the 80s or 90s in it, that you adored once but found it didn't age well and it now kind of makes you uncomfortable or, or, or it makes you uneasy to watch it, view it, and to think that you enjoyed it? Um, if you can think of, 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 of a movie, of a TV show, of a song that is like that, log on to 20popcast.com, click on the pop top link, and you know, drop, drop us just an example of how it's kind of soured. Maybe, maybe we can discuss that in a future episode or something. Yeah, I'd love right. to do that. Uh, and I know there's a few listeners out there that are probably going to respond. So I look forward to, to hearing. I'm very from excited them. to hear from you, Donald Conway. It is Donald, right? I have to say, it's nice, it's nice it to is, have a number right? one fan. And I think we do in the form of a gentleman that I guess we have both met, correct? Yeah, he was uh, he was um, in Charlesgate. Don- it is Donald, right? I'm uh, saying this. Donald Donald Cowan. Cowan, you are this show's. Where this show is a fan of you. I gotta phrase that better. I just wanted to acknowledge that I appreciate you listening because I noticed you've been commenting and sharing some thoughts. You shared a lot of thoughts on the Pearl Jam episode from last week. So here's a shout out to you, sir. I wonder if you make it to the end of the episodes because you won't hear this if you don't. But if you did, great. You've heard us plug ourselves before, and now you heard us. Thank you. So 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 there you go. Um, Bob, do you have anything you want to say to close this out? Um, just that uh, everyone who wants to comment there can also follow us on uh, Twitter. I'm at RH Canning, and Tim, you are also yeah, on I'm Twitter at Subcultist. At Subcultist. Uh, at Subcultist. Yes, and you can like us on the Facebook page, and you can visit 20popcast.com, connection to links and how to subscribe. But um, yeah, we've got one more week in our big month of 1994 coming up, so I'm uh, sorry we missed last week. There was a little divot of of, of, of escapades that, that caused me to miss a recording session, but we're back on track. So, listeners, thank you for being listeners. Bob, thank you for. Oh, you know what we should mention? Your comic strip is back up and running. Is that worth saying? Oh yeah, I've got a couple under the belt now. 
Yeah, so by the time you're hearing this, hopefully it's been uh, active for a few weeks. Um, but yeah, if you want to check out my comic strip, which is basically just uh, my family um, uh, elevated to uh, comic strip levels, I guess. Um, exaggeratedlife.wordpress.com is where you can find that. Uh, you can also find it on Facebook, exaggeratedlife.wordpress.com. I would say check it out. It's basically Pulp Fiction, um, but with kids. So... So we'll see you next week. Thank you for checking out this week. Play it safe out there in the world and catchphrase. <laughs>